Hey, we are, as mentioned, we are starting a new series, and it, it's a series that is in a very kind of a different direction, a different feel than where we've been at in terms of healing ministry. In fact, we're calling it How Long? Learning How to Lament, and I want to introduce it in a slightly different way. I'm hoping it's a, it's a memorable may, way, maybe we'll carry this uh, with us, but I have two crosses here. I want you to look at these two crosses. They're slightly different, right? And I want you to, what is the main, for those of you at home, what is the main, there's a, lot, a couple of differences between these crosses, but what is the main, the primary difference between these crosses? That's right, yes, free cup of coffee when you get home, Kurt. Um, yes, Jesus is on one and not the other. So that makes, this is referred to as just a regular cross and this one too as a crucifix. Yes, just out of curiosity, is any of you wearing a cross today, this morning, or maybe you have a tattoo of a cross? Yes, a couple of you? Yeah, okay, good. Is anyone wearing a crucifix today? Anyone? Normally, this is more, more Protestants wear a cross, yes, and more Catholics wear a crucifix. Some, some Protestants would argue that we should not wear a crucifix. Occasionally, some of those arguments, one is like uh, the argument that one of the commandments is we should have no graven uh, images, that the, there's a danger of idolatry. And I guess so that's a possibility. If, if you're worshiping a particular item or graven issue, if you're seeking spiritual power from that, that's a possibility. But really for me, I've always approached that, especially when I go to hospitals that are Catholic, almost always go in the chapel and I pray there, and oftentimes they have a crucifix that's there. And really I see that more as, as our, uh, for example, Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, as well as our Catholic brothers and sisters, they see those sacred objects not as something to be worshipped, but that's something that helps and aids in your worship, just like the cross does. But if you see that or or touch something that's meant to, not that you're worshiping that little thing, that you're directing your heart and soul towards the throne room of grace, and you're worshiping in that way. So I generally don't have that problem. I don't necessarily wear a crucifix, but I, I think it's perfectly acceptable to do that. There's another argument that's interesting that's worth, worth talking about. I've heard some say you shouldn't wear a crucifix or have that because Jesus is no longer on the cross, right? He's, he's not in the grave. He's, he's resurrected. He's the throne room of God. He's there. We should be living as Christians a life of victory, right? A, a, a life of, of triumph. We've been praying for healing and restoration. That's the, the focus of our life. Now, in part, I definitely agree with that. Christ is no longer on the cross. And yet I would say there's another aspect of the faith that probably does not get talked about enough. 
that we lean into. In fact, in a, in a, in a uh, scripture, Luke 9, verse 23, he says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, whenever Jesus says a line like that, like you pay attention, right? He's saying, if, if you want to follow, be a, a follower of mine. If you, if you want to journey after me. If you want to learn how to live this life, pay attention to this. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Take up their cross daily and follow me. Boy, it would have been great if he didn't put that daily in there, right? If we could have said we, we, we accepted Christ and we put ourselves, we sacrificed, and now we're, we're walking this life of victory, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says part of the Christian life today in this moment, there's sacrifice, there's denial, there's even suffering and struggle. That's part of the cross. Jesus, he picked up the cross. Yes, he's not on the cross anymore, but now he says, it's, it's your turn. That, that part, yes, we live in victory, but we also live in the not yet. That's, uh, uh, last week, we talked about this idea of the kingdom of God. It's a very powerful tension within the kingdom of God. It's this already, but not yet. In one sense, as we live in the kingdom of God, we are experiencing the overflow of heaven. When we, when we see or hear the, the healing of someone, as Steve testified, healing from cancer, Praise God, there's no cancer in heaven that, that filled his life. And, and we celebrate that. We get to experience God's presence today. We have all the promises of God today. That's the already part of the kingdom of God. And yet the reality is, it's, it's not fully consummated. This is not heaven on earth completely yet. We still have an enemy of our soul, as we talked about last week, that is pushing and pressing. We still have times that we don't understand when then the reality of his presence and power is not experienced. And it's not maturity in the Christian life to deny those moments. I, in fact, believe it's maturity to learn to hold these moments in tension. You know, Paul talks about Christians, they grieve. We grieve not as the world grieves. We, we don't grieve at the loss of someone as if we have no hope. But we do grieve. We authentically and in reality experience loss. And we don't deny that. We don't deny the pain and suffering that's that's happening around the world because of the pandemic. We look at that, we see that, and we mourn with our brothers and sisters. We don't deny the, the civil unrest or the experience of racism of our, our brothers and sisters. We don't deny that, but we authentically grieve and lament with them. If a crucifix is going to help us remember Luke 9, 23, then by all means wear that. 
Pray that. Think about that. Walk in that tension. We planned, there was something I thought that would be beautiful about teaching a series on healing and praying for healing, trusting in God for his presence and power made manifest in our midst, and then right after that series, do a series of lament. It was John Wimber, a pastor, who said, you can't really have a good theology of healing unless you have a good theology of suffering. That we walk in both of those realities. Now, one of the powerful ways of learning to lament is, of course, looking at those lament passages of Scripture that we find. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 6. In fact, if you look at all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, especially the Old Testament, there's large portions of Scripture that have lament. Most all of the prophets have at least a portion of lament. We have a whole book called Lamentations, right? It's there. It's as if there's this invitation that we don't deny or push away this aspect of the life. There's a number of psalms that we learn and we pray, and these psalms are psalms of lament. So we're going to look at Psalm 6. And what I'd like you to do, you might have your Bibles or open them up. We'll have them on the screen, but if you want, if you want to just close your eyes and imagine David, who's the author of this, the inspired author of this psalm, praying and listen to the depth of his language as you do that. If you want to close your eyes, if that helps you hear more deep, deeply, imagine him in his, in his home or living room or maybe by a stream or something where he's just pouring his heart out to God. He Praise, this is Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. What powerful language that David uses. I love New King James Version. I like to read some of the Psalms because their language, the 
One of the lines they have, all night I make my bed swim. Just this, these visuals that, that David is pouring out before God. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed with that much poignancy or, or tragedy or sadness or drama? Have you ever just laid it out? I'd have to say that for a long time in my Christian faith, I, I, I didn't do that. I tried to pray what I thought were appropriate prayers or right prayers or, or maybe a little touch of elegance in my prayers. Yes? And I didn't want to pray a prayer that God would be like, ugh, that was horrible, right? And then I was in, uh, still remember, I was in seminary, and I was taking an Old Testament class from a professor, and he said, listen, the Psalms, they're the songbook and the prayer book of the children of God, right? So you can pray anything in the Psalms that they pray. And I was like, Wow, that, that opens up a lot. That, that really invites, like, I don't, they don't have to be nice prayers. They don't have to be appropriate. That, that God is big enough. Not that he's going to say, okay, well, you prayed it. Yes, that's a, no, that it's okay if I just share the angst and pain of my soul. In fact, it's not just okay I believe the testimony of Scripture because there's so many psalms like this and there's so much Scripture that it's an invitation that God is saying, it's not just okay, I'm inviting you to pray this way. I'm inviting you to be real and lay it out because when you do that, that's when I do some of my greatest work in your life. I believe that. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. I want us to learn what it looks like to pray and understand these verses. So let's just touch on them real quick. Let's break it down. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Now, we don't really know the context of, of this prayer by David. A lot of people think it was the context of when he sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then had her husband murdered on, on the, the field of battle. And then God confronts him with a prophet and says, I forgive you, but you're going to have to face consequences. And some of those consequences were his son Absalom was ripping the kingdom of Israel, the, the nation of Judah, from his hands. And so he could have been on the run from Absalom. He could have been that. And notice that he realizes his struggle and his agony and his pain is happening, if that's the context, because of his son, but really it's happening, what's the cause? His own sin. It was his own sin that was leading him to this desperate place. And this is why he says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Even though David realizes it's his own sin that put him in this painful place, he still turns to the Lord 
And he says, Lord, please. I would say that even when we're facing difficulty because of our own sin, we get to pray that his grace and mercy would temper his discipline and the consequences of our sin. That grace and mercy would temper what he's doing and the consequences of our own pain. Have you ever been struggling mightily and yet you realize it's the consequence of a bad decision that you've made? Of a sin that you've committed and you said, well, I can't bring that to God. I'm getting what I desire. I'm facing. He's arranged for these consequences. God had arranged for the consequences of David's life, and yet still David says, Lord, which mercy. The simplest definition of mercy is that he does not give us what we deserve. Lord, would you temper your discipline with your mercy? The definition of grace is that he gives us what we don't deserve, his favor, his blessing. David is saying, grace, grace. I know I deserve it, and I don't deserve your favor and blessing, your restoration. Mercy and grace. We get to pray that way today. Verse 3. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? We get to pray, how long? Even if we're in agony and struggle, and we're not always in agony and struggle because of our own, uh, our own sin, but even when it's for whatever reason we get to say, God, when will this end? Lord, please, please end this suffering. One of our seminaries uh, of our denomination hosted a Zoom discussion. They had a panel, and it was on race and the church, trying to help us as leaders understand and look at the elements that are happening around the the country, uh, across the country, and put an understanding of a Christian perspective. And one of the uh, one of the panel members was an African-American pastor, woman, and she she was a teenager at the time of Martin Luther King Jr. She was born in Selma. It sounded like she actually marched with him, but she was sharing some of her own perspective, and she said, in some ways, I'm so sad because I feel like we're struggling with the same things today that we are struggling in Martin Luther King Jr.'s time. She gets to say, how long, Lord, will we wrestle with the the evil of racism in our country and lives? She also got to say, I'm encouraged because I know God is working in this moment in a different way. But we get to join her and others. And we say, Lord, how long? How long until justice comes? 
and healing comes. Verse 4. Good verse 4 with me. Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Some of you know I have a favorite, favorite Hebrew word, and it's used often. It's used here. Anyone remember what that is? Scott, got a chance? Putting you on the spot. Oh, he said it. You just couldn't see it because of the mask. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hased. Hased. It's this rich word that's used here in Psalm 6. It, it's the idea, it's this full and abundant word that means grace and mercy and favor and blessing. It's the essence of who God is. He is a God of love. His, his hased, his grace and mercy, that's, it's flowing from his throne. And what David is saying, would you please look at me? Would you please treat me? Not on my own righteousness. David knew that ship had sailed, yes? But would you look at me based on who you are? Not who I am, who you are, and you are a God of unfailing, unceasing love. Would your love, flow into my life today. Powerful way to pray. Verse 5, among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? What he's doing there is he's reasoning with God. He's saying, doesn't it make sense, God, that, that you would spare my life so I can continue to worship you, right? I love that that verse is in there because personally, I like to reason with God. Because I always think there might be some angles he's not considering at this point. Yes, of course not. But what happens when I reason with God and talk with God in that way is the Apostle Paul calls it the mind of Christ or the mind of the Spirit. Then I, as I bring these things and reason with him, much of my perspective fades away in the mind of Christ, I'm, I'm learning and growing his perspective on the particular suffering or difficulty or struggle that I'm in. Okay, verses six and seven. I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping where my bed is swimming and I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my foes. What's happening there is it's just out and out complaining. He's just going, ah, ugh. He's using this language. Yeah? What I have learned is that primarily from the testimony of Scripture in my own prayer life, God has a really high tolerance for whining. I used to think that God would be like, would you like a little wine with that cheese, or a little cheese with that wine, Eric? But God doesn't do that. If you look at many of the prophets, especially like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? They come and they're, they're angsty and they struggle and they complain. And apparently, that's okay with God. He, he invites us, yeah, tell me. Now we're going to talk about it. I'm going to correct you. But I'm not going to brush you aside. I'm not going to 
say, no, that doesn't. People have it much harder than you do, right? He leaves that for our spouses, right? That they brush off our, our complaining. He says, no, I'll come, come. I'll hear you. I'll love you. I'll respond to you. Finally, look at verse 10. Jump there. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. What that is is a cry for justice, right? We, we get to cry out when we're hurt and we're wounded. Oftentimes, I cry out for justice. I do try and do it in the context of a of the New Testament and Jesus saying, love your enemies, right? But I don't always do that, to be honest with you, but God can handle that. He doesn't answer a, a, a prayer that is not of his will, but he can handle that. But often I do pray for justice and repentance and forgiveness and restoration of my enemies. And we get to do that. Now, what I want us to do is we're going to end the service in a different way. We're going to end it not with a, a song. We're going to end it by praying Psalm 6 together. You see, we have a number of weapons that God gives us to do battle in the Christian life today. The two, I would say, most potent and powerful weapons is the Word of God and prayer. And when you combine those two weapons, when you pray the Word of God, that's when dramatic life transformation happens, right? Those two weapons. So we're going to do that. But before we do that, I want to say just a word about those verses of 8 and 9. Because David talks about the blessing and the benefits of praying prayers of lament. If you notice that as oftentimes this happens in Psalms, is they're pouring out their lives, they're crying out, and then as they're praying these really angsty prayers, their faith is starting to grow and build in confidence. They're starting to, to praise and worship once again. They're starting to, to believe and trust God in, in, in ever-increasing measure. And you see that in Psalm 6 here. So some of the benefits, he says, uh, um, in verse uh, in, in 9, he says, oh, no, no, in 8, he says, for the Lord has heard my weeping. One of the benefits of praying and lamenting is the Lord hears and accepts our prayers. He, he doesn't just say, okay, you can lament. No, he invites us to that. He welcomes that. There's a beautiful word, um, brokenhearted. A number of places in Scripture talks about the brokenhearted. And, and for example, Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, God is saying, I have a tender place in my heart for the brokenhearted. 
when you're in that moment that your spirit is crushed, when, when you're desperate and you're crying out and humbly you're coming to me and crying out, that's, there's some kind of special moment that the Lord cares and loves and hears. I would have to say, in my personal life, in the most difficult times when I went through a divorce and it felt like, talking about uh, graphic language, it, the image that I continued to get when I was losing my family, I, I was hopeless. It felt like someone was taking a, a hacksaw and just cutting me down the middle. I didn't think it was going to be okay. I didn't think I was going to make it. I, there was hopeless moments. Now, I would never want to go through that again. I would never wish that on my worst enemy, but you know what? The, the, the times that I experienced intimacy in those moments were probably far greater than any other time in my life. The Lord just, he knew I needed that special touch because my heart was so broken and devastated. Even to this day, I don't know if there's any other moment that I experienced him so closely. In that moment, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He hears. He not only hears and receives those prayers of lament, but he also, we're told, the Lord acts on our behalf. He responds, maybe not in the exact timing we're praying or the exact way, right? He's going to answer our prayers and our laments in accordance with how he's unfolding this. But he says, I will act when you pray this way. I will respond. I was thinking of the prophet Jonah. He was classic, right, for rebelling against God. He said, go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah said, okay, I'm going the other direction, right? And so he's running, and then we most of us know the story, right? Sunday school class. He's in the belly of the whale. He gets swallowed. Do you know what he does in the belly of the whale? He prays. He says, oh, help, and he prays. He says, Jonah 2.2, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. One of the reasons I love the story of Jonah is because this prayer is so hypocritical. Why was he fleeing from Nineveh? He didn't want the Ninevites to experience the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. So he runs the other direction. He's in the whale, and what does he do? He asks that he could have the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. Help, God! And yet, what does God do? He doesn't go, that is the most hypocritical prayer ever. It kind of is. Is there more of a hypocritical prayer in Scripture? I don't think so. But just to prove that God has a sense of humor the form of his grace we hear in Jonah 2.10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. His grace equated to being vomited on the shore. 
that amazing, though, that, that even a prayer as hypocritical as Jonah God hears? He wasn't done with Jonah or the Ninevites. He could have found another prophet, but no, he was working in Jonah's life. He hears and responds. Finally, prayers of lament strengthen our weary soul. Strengthen our weary soul. And we see that in almost every psalm. Not everyone, but almost everyone. As we pray, as we lament, as we pour it out, we feel his presence. We feel his power. David, in another psalm, he speaks to his own soul. I don't know if he was looking in the mirror, if he was looking down, but he says this, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. You can hear David as he's praying. He says, yes, God is my rest and my hope and my security. All those things. You see, that's what God wants to do with our prayers of the men. You know, in, the, uh, in that Zoom call with the pastors, there was another younger pastor. He was black. And he was saying um, at the end, the facilitator said, would you just say a word to your white brothers and sisters, us pastors and professors and students that were on the call? How can we walk with you? They didn't use the language of carry the mat as Tracy did a couple weeks ago. But essentially, it was that question. How do we carry the mat, and he said two things which um, were kind of surprising. He said, first is, would you stay curious? Would you stay engaged? Would you listen to our stories? And I thought, I can do that. I can do that. Your experience is different than mine. I can hear the experience. And then the second thing he said is, would you lament with us? I thought, yeah, that he, he wasn't asking us to, to change our political leanings or to agree everything that's happening with the protests or the riots. It was a brother in Christ asking us to share in their lament. They don't need us to share about victory and healing in this moment right now. They need us to journey with them and listen deeply, to pray with them, to carry the corner of the mat, to pray God's kingdom come and His will be done in this way. All right. Would you close your eyes? And we're gonna we're gonna invite Jedediah forward. It does say we're supposed to play an instrument during our psalm. He doesn't have a shemineth yet. Maybe that's a goal. But he does have a guitar, so he's gonna play behind us. And I'm just gonna give us space. 
You know, in some ways, this is like the Lord's Prayer. I talk about that all the time. We pray conversationally. You read a line and you pray into it. That's what we're doing with the psalm. It helps the words of God fill our words in prayer. So I'm going to have you pray silently a little bit, and I'll pray out loud. You do this at home. You find the quiet place. Verse 1 says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. If there's any way that you're experiencing the consequences of sin, there's any way that you're struggling with the forgiveness, recovery of that moment, we get to pray mercy, God. Grace, God. If you sense that he's disciplining you in this moment, we get to pray, God, would you temper your discipline with mercy and grace? Would you take that moment between you and the Lord? My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I want to pray that for our brothers and sisters of color, especially our our black brothers and sisters, Lord, we, with them we cry out, how long, Lord, will racism be a part of our country and world. Lord, we ask, we know there is no racism in heaven, Lord. Would you bring that in ever-increasing measure? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Lord, we ask that you would not look upon us for our own sin and our own righteousness, but based on your chesed. Lord, we recognize and are so thankful that you're a God of love and grace and mercy. Would you pour out your chesed upon us this morning? Among the dead, no one proclaims your name who praises you from the grave. Lord, we, we've been praying for healing, Lord God. There's some who are not yet healed. We ask, Lord, we ask that there would be a day that they would be in this sanctuary, if they're part of our congregation, worshiping you freely, cancer-free, worshiping you without any ailment, Lord God. I think that would be a beautiful testimony of your healing power, Lord. You invite them. 
All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Lord, we ask that you teach us to be real with you. Teach us to try not to hide even the most difficult parts of who we are. Would you teach us to lament? All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish and they will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Lord, we pray for those that have hurt us. Lord, would you help us not to harbor any bitterness or unforgiveness? We do pray for justice if there's been any injustice. We also pray that our enemies would be brought to saving faith with you convinced and convicted of their sin. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, would you help us to to be true to who we are, the truest sense, and lay our lives before you in prayer. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you respond. Thank you that you act. Thank you that you grow us in faith. Amen. Can we stand together? If you're comfortable, you want to just hold your hands open and at home. Would you go, yes, walking in the promises of God, walking in his presence today, walking in all the victory that he has for us. Yes, walk in that way. But would you also go being mindful that we have a cross to bear today, that sometimes sacrifice and sorrow, would you walk in both trusting the Lord will bring that depth and maturity of soul. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Please greet one another, especially outside in the beautiful weather.